everybody welcome to the show and episode 133 Okay, guys, we are back again. Um, so it's been a minute since I've done one of these, but um, this guy reached out to me and, and you know, pod match again, and it's you get a lot of matches and you come. It's some, sometimes you just run into each other because our lives are, you know, we've been through a lot of different struggles, but there's there's not a lot of similarities. And, well, there's some, but he's been through totally different uh, situations than I have, and but. There is parallels, and, and I'm, I'm glad to now get to know him and have him on because, you know, it's a different story, and there's a lot of questions I'd like to ask him through his journey because it's different than mine. And uh, as I like to say, I like to learn with the audience because I, I don't like to come on here and act like I know everything, It's especially when it's stuff that I have so many other issues that I, I don't have time to really try to learn everyone else's issues. So uh, I, this is kind of the way I do it. Um, so yeah, buddy, you want to kind of tell us your name and maybe a little about yourself? Yeah, my name is, uh, Charles Smith. I'm a veteran, uh, army infantry veteran. And I'm an author of seven self-help books, which can be found on lifeexperience.net. And I'm uh, a survivor of PTSD for 40 plus years now, 44 years, 44 years. Wow. Yeah. Going on 44 years, right. um, 30 years in addiction recovery. Uh, I'm a suicide survivor from the year 2000 and I was a homeless veteran wow. and an orphan and the list goes on and on. Right. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I, I've talked about this, I think it was on, on the last episode. It's just, it, it's amazing how vulnerable we are, vulnerable, vulnerable, can't speak today, as we are as kids and how, you know, we're, we're essentially just put in our parents' hands or whoever is our caregivers at that point in time. And it's like, here, take care of us. We can't do anything with ourselves. We're, we're almost useless to a certain extent, especially when you're a baby, because you can roll over and smother yourself. So you're just there. And then all of a sudden you're just introduced to life and a lot of times for a good amount of people, life can be very shitty and it really morphs you into who eventually you'll be to, to become. Um, and it's like someone like you, me and, and many others have just, sometimes it's not just a couple things. It's a constant, you know, you're constantly, you never really have time to suppress and figure out like, Oh, can I breathe? Because life just continues to keep coming at you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you, and was, I, I, yeah, go ahead. I think that, um, times like what we've gone through is like a crucible. You know, I, I, I've seen this on, um, Arrow, the TV show Arrow. Arrow, and, right, um, superhero. Right. Yeah. And, he talks about a, a crucible, like you either um, survive it and become that much stronger for surviving it, or you let it take you over. Yeah. And we're two that 
have survived it and became stronger for it. Yeah. Yeah, you notice, it's, it's something I've talked about a lot, where, like, especially mental health-wise, like, you notice your bad days don't last as long as they used to. You know, they might consume you months in, days in, weeks in, and now you may just have one bad day where you're feeling sorry for yourself or you're feeling angry or de- just super depressed, and then like within less than 24 hours, you're kind of back on your feet smiling again somehow. And it's not even yeah. something you do on purpose. It, it just It's a way you bounce back. And you're just kind of used to being strong and you don't really, a lot of times you don't realize until you can kind of look outside yourself and say, okay, Hey, like, what are you doing there? And then, yeah, like you don't realize like how strong of a person you are until sometimes some really dark things happen and it doesn't really affect you as much, but that comes with experience and and trauma that you've dealt with for so long that it just, you're kind of just used to it and numb to some degree which is not always healthy but it is a beautiful thing when you can kind of like the fact that you and I could still smile and have a good time even though we've been through so much shit oh definitely yeah I, I really agree and people with mental health I've often you know turned their I've helped them to turn their uh their curse, their mental health, whatever you want to call it, um, into a strength. You know, when I first met the people, they, oh, I'm cursed with PTSD or this and that. And and then I'm like, okay, how do you, what is the positives that you get out of this? Yeah. Like me, I've had PTSD for, you know, 40 plus years and it's compounded multiple times and um but i am very uh vigilant you know and i'm i'm always on my toes and yeah this and this and that so that i look at that as a strength that i've gained from it yeah, you're super resilient like you it's it's, yeah yeah you're you're still going to get knocked on your ass plenty of times in life no matter how old you are but it's just it's how quick you bounce back and just get up and um, yeah maybe it seems stupid because sometimes it, it does it seems ridiculous like why am i continuing to get up knowing that i'm gonna get knocked down again but it, it's just it, you have to because it's just i mean you just sit there and you don't you just take it like you're not gonna you're not going anywhere you, and your life is not gonna progress and you know, I mean, mental health, I mean, one of the things I think one of the reasons why my patience is so thin anymore, like I, I want to just get to the point. I want to help people. I want to do as much as I can, because when you have mental health, a lot of times you stay still. You don't want to do anything. And, and it's like there's so many yeah. conflicting things within mental health. Like you're lonely, but you want to be alone. It's like, OK, like, well, how does that make sense? It's like, yeah, I don't want I want I would love to have someone over. But then as soon as someone comes around, you're like, eh, I'm not feeling it. I don't want to go out. I don't want to do anything. I just want to stay here. Like you just continue to hurt yourself over. It doesn't have to be a physical like cut yourself type of thing. You're doing things to just impede your progress. You're getting in your own way. And it, yeah, yeah. And it, it's it's such a negative thing. But people don't like that's why I hate how people talk about mental health in, in the news and just. And overall, different shows a lot of times because they talk about it on such a surface level. But for someone like a who's like a veteran, like you've been through it, you've seen a lot of things that people haven't seen, and you know, when you have, you know, you end up getting a really screwed up head because of it. 
Um, and you know, it, it's hard to explain to the average person and what kind of demons you have and, you know, what it's like to come in back into the real world and just like, Hey guys, it's great. Like, Oh yeah, we're, there's no, you know, we're not killing each other over here. We're not, you know, we're not trying to do, I mean, you know, it does happen, but I mean, the, you yeah. know, tip, typical society, we're not supposed to do that. And, um, you know, but mental health, it, it, it consumes all of us, but especially the ones that have been through so much trauma. Like, I don't know anybody who hasn't been through something bad that hasn't gone through some sort of spell of mental health. Yeah, especially these these days. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, with the, everything that's going on with COVID, with active shootings, with, um, you know, yeah. going to school back in the 80s, I didn't have to worry or my family didn't have to worry about active shooters in schools. You know, now I have a 10 year old son and that's one of the thoughts that goes through my head. Yeah. You know, like what if, cause I'm a, I'm a big, what if person. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I look at what could happen. I drive my kid nuts with this all the time, but I um, I look at what could happen. Like, oh, don't stand on that because you're gonna fall over. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's, and I I I see what could happen, and I do what I can to change it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, especially when you've been through so much, you're trying to stay ahead of, you know, what could happen, good or bad. You have to be, yeah. you have to be prepared. And, and a lot of times you can't, I mean, you really can't be prepared for most things, but sometimes you, you get lucky and something happens. And you go, oh, okay, that's similar to something else I went through or similar to something I thought up of. And, and it's like, eh, I can, I could probably take this. It's going to take a minute to get settled in, but you know, I'm, yeah. I'm prepared enough. Hmm. So yeah. Exactly. I, like, I mean, I, I, I went into that all the time and, and work. I work for a company called Aware Recovery Care. Mm-hmm. And I run into, you know, situations all the time, like um, different clients living with different situations. And a lot of times I can use my, my lived experience to help them out. Yeah, and your and like your story. There's no, I mean, there's there's physical and obvious traits that people can see, hear, you know, and then feel. And there's no bullshit where you're coming in and just like, hey guys, like you know, like when we were in school, and I don't know, I mean, you're a little older than I am, but people would come into school and say, don't drink because it's poison and it's this, and you're like, okay, you're just telling us to do things basically. But for you, you're a living, you know, yeah, memory for them, and they see what you've gone through. And it's like, oh, okay, we see it in your limp, or we see it how you talk, or we see it however, and, and, and even in your expressions, in your face. Like, you know, I, I always said that I, I'm not a big fan of people who wear shirts saying, like, I'm a survivor, because other survivors know other survivors, and it has nothing to do with a stupid shirt. It's because we see it, right. your, your mental scar, we see how you talk, we see how you, you, you move, and, you know, we feel your pain with you. And, and so I'm sure when you go into those rooms to help people, like, they can feel that your story is genuine. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, and I've. Go ahead. Huh? No, go ahead, buddy. Go ahead. I've um, I've worked in detoxes before, and you know, I I tell my story to 
uh, newcomers, and they're like, "That's what it's all about. That's you know, that's what we want to hear. That somebody that um, is helping us has lived experience, and not that there's anything wrong with college and stuff like that. I mean, I I have a degree myself, but they want people that have lived experience and not just reading out of a book. Right. Yeah. You yeah, know, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I've said this so many times where for me experience, like I don't care how many degrees you have in anything to me, degrees and mental health and PTSD and all these type of things, degrees in that is just full on experience. Like there's so many people that went to school and they have master's degrees and this and that. And like, to me, it's like, that's great. And I, I will take your help, but someone who has a master's degree in mental health and PTSD is someone like you, like you went through it. You didn't have to go to school for nothing. You, you lived this experience and I would rather take your yeah. advice on what trauma is and what PTSD is because you lived it and nearly killed you. And yeah, I don't want to hear from somebody who went to school for it and it's no offense to them, but it's, it's, I want someone who lived the experience of, of wanting to die, nearly dying and, and, and all these things because that is that's yeah, that yeah. that's the real degree. It's not a great degree, but I mean, it is a badge you can wear on your chest every day and say, "Look, man, I'm I'm surviving every day. Like this isn't this isn't a joke. Like I'm my there's a part of my brain wants me dead, and I'm still here yeah, every day. Yeah. So there's my you know there's your doctorates and that. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Um, yep. Can, can we kind of delve into what you have been through? Yeah. Because um, you told me it start, kind of started from when you were six. That's what you told me. Okay, off, yeah. Off All right. I, um, at six o'clock, yeah, six o'clock, at six years old. <laughs> I got you. My, um, yeah, my uh, mother passed away of a drug overdose, hmm. mixing um, pills and alcohol. And... Then my father moved me and my sister around for five years. Um, I literally have a, a book about it. Uh, ten homes in 11 years. Wow. Because we actually lived in ten different homes in multiple different states. Wow. Until my father died um, when I was 11 years old. I... Uh, I still remember the day um, I I woke up that morning and my father was in the kitchen making coffee and I just had like a weird vibe, weird feeling. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, something's going to happen today. Wow. So I'm, I'm, I'm staying home from school and I, I went over, I hugged my father. I'm like, Dad, I'm not feeling good. I want to stay home. Like, no, you've missed enough already. You had to go. So then I went into my bathroom, shoved my finger down my throat, and went, Dad, I just did. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I, I want to, uh, I don't feel good. Yeah. I I was, because it scared the hell out of me. Yeah. I didn't know what happened. And we, we, we were, we were like, at the end there, we were like dirt poor. Like me and my father shared a twin-sized bed. 
and we didn't have a box room. Mm. We had our, our clothes in cardboard boxes. You know, our, I remember our bathroom floor being concrete. You know, that, that's the kind of place that we lived in. It was a, a shack, right. but that's all we could get. Yeah. And so after that, my father um, and I went to the store and he passed out on me. The he same, was a diabetic. Yeah, yep, yep. Like I was later, maybe an hour or two later. Uh-huh. And he passed out on me that day. And the store clerk gave him orange juice, which, being a diabetic, orange juice helped him to get to revive. Yeah. You know? And um, after that, we went back to the house and he passed out on me again the same day. Like an hour, maybe an hour later after the last time. Mm-hmm. Then I ran over to my neighbors and um, I had the neighbor bring us to the hospital and holding my father's hand at the hospital, that's when he passed away. Wow. What, and What did he die of? Um, diabetic complications, wow. honestly. I, I'm pretty sure he stopped taking his insulin that he needed to take. Oh. Because, and maybe this is to justify it or whatever in my own head, but my family here in Massachusetts was well off. So he probably thought that, you know, if he wasn't there, then we would be taken care of by them and we would be better off. Hmm. So you're saying he almost essentially let himself go? I I think so, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's That's what I think. That's a real sacrifice. Because it's it's almost selfish and not at the same time. Yeah. Because it's like you it's know, selfish for us. Yeah, but it, it it's self, but it's also like you know how is it going? I mean, you already lost your mother too, so it's like how is this going to affect you mentally? Like and, and like, could you survive without your father? Like I mean, he, I'm sure he probably didn't take a lot of this into consideration. He just wanted you to live better, which is very unselfish. But then there's a point where it's like, well, I'm gonna die. You know, that's still going. Yeah, to, that's going to impact you, especially when you've already lost your other parent. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Yeah. So it's a very I mean it's heroic but not at the same time. It's it's really yeah, that's that's a weird pickle. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a conundrum. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's what you would probably call it. Yeah. 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 And it's it's a, a yeah. definitely unorthodox way of if if he if this is the way he did it, like if this was intentional, then it's a very unorthodox suicide. Like it's Yeah, yeah. And it's and that's the thing. Suicide is a really crazy thing because I've attempted it, and I know you said you have. It's, you know, a lot yep, of a yep. lot of people do perceive it to be, uh, what you call it, uh, um, selfish, and it's oh, weakness. Yeah, well, that and that you're selfish, but like, you don't know kind of what's going on in someone's head. Like, you don't understand. Yeah. you don't know, and and like that's why I always go back to like Robin Williams, who a guy who had everything and he killed himself, and people were kind of yeah you know, surmising, like, what he thought in his head. Like, oh, well, maybe it's because he was broke. And it's like, no, dude, he could he could do a comedy tour. He can do a new movie any day he wanted. It's just he didn't want to. And he well, he also was really down on himself because his 
condition was getting worse and he couldn't speak the same way. He wasn't as fast as he was, but you know, a guy who had everything yeah. he killed himself and he had family, he had kids and, and he hung himself in his bathroom and it's like, he knew somebody was going to find him, but you don't really know yeah. what his head told him to do. Like those voices in his head, you don't know what the last few voices were and then what, what the message they were relaying to him. Because at some point, one of those voices said something that made sense to him and said, you know what? Screw it. You're right. I'm out of here. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And yep, there was yep. a part of your dad that there was still some pure and pureness in there where he was like, I want the best life for my kids. Maybe. And again, that this is how he did it. Then it's like, well, this is, this is how I get, you know, help him. And maybe it wasn't the best decision. Maybe it was in some ways, but you don't really know. Like you can't really say how he, the way he did it was the right way because he also wasn't in the right mind, the right headspace, and right. you know, it's if you're yeah, not, if you're exactly. not, you're gonna make yeah. a bunch of dumb decisions. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I, mean, I remember my own suicide attempt, where I, um, my grandfather and my uncle. My grandfather was my legal guardian, mm-hmm. and my uncle was like my father figure. Both died a month apart from cancer and I remember when my uncle was sick I was pleading with with God like take me I have nothing I don't I don't I don't want to be here I don't have anything to tie me here take me leave him you know and then after that um when they both passed away, I felt a lot of remorse because when they were alive, I never gave them the the love that they they should have had. Right. Because growing up, I was like, "Oh, they're they're trying to take my father's place. Nobody's taking my father's place. Leave me alone." Uh-huh. That was my tra- that was my train of thought. Yeah, so. Then that depression grew after they died, and I started cutting on myself to feel something other than what I was feeling. Mm-hmm. And I, um, one night, I just was like, "This is it. I jump. I'm, I'm done. I don't. I don't, I don't want to live anymore." I wrote, I wrote the words "Fu World" on my arm or I carved it on my arm and I took a bottle of sleeping pills and I went to sleep. Not thinking that I was going to wake up again. I was, I was totally content with just ending it. You know, for, for me, I mean, with, with all the darkness in my head at that time, you know, it was, it was like a, uh, a release from that. That's what it was going to be for me. And then my, um, my friend found me and sent me to the hospital. And then I went to a VA hospital. And after that, I became a homeless veteran. And that's where I, um, discovered that I wasn't alone, which was huge. And that's what I try to do for people now is tell them that they're not alone. Did that follow because you? Because seeing, 
Did that follow you for uh-huh. a while? That your your suicide attempt? Did that follow you for a while? Like as, as as something that you attempted? Like is that something that people looked at you as like, oh, he's that guy, like the guy who tried to kill himself? Because you know how the world is. We put labels yeah. on people. And no, su- yeah. And suicide yeah. is, is one that people yeah. are hard to. It's hard to people to get past it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And even people in my family, some people in my family think that it's a sign of weakness. Yeah. You know, if they if they do it, or it's um, you know, it's the easy way out, or this or that, and they just don't understand it. And they're not totally wrong because it is technically the easy way out because you don't have to deal with any more your pain. But it's that you can't say it's weak when you don't know what someone's going through. And even like stuff from the out, like there's there's stuff that's going on. Like on the outside, something seems so normal for everyone. It's like, oh, but you live, you know, you have a home and you have this and you have that. And it's like, yeah, but inside, like everything is on fire. Like everything, yeah, everything yep. looks horrendous. And, and I, I, I will tell you this quick story where I... Uh, I might have explained it on here before where I was with my mom one time and you know, I'm in, I'm in my head, I'm battling, I'm fighting so many wars. I, I don't know what at the time, cause this is many years ago, but I'm, I'm in a really bad place. I'm fighting this and you know, whatever. I'm hating myself. We're at the grocery store. Her, she, some friend that she works with or knew comes up to her and says, Hey Pam. And they start talking and she goes, this is my son TJ. And he sticks his hand. I go, Hey buddy, how you doing? And I want to project like how I'm talking to you now and go, Hey buddy, what's going on? I'm TJ. And I was just like, Hey, I'm TJ. Like very like just sheepish and just, yeah. I, I gave him no energy. Like if he thought I like was a dick, he had every right to feel that way because I gave him nothing. My handshake was just mm. dead. And because I like, I'm like, I'm in, I'm at war with myself and I don't and, like, I'm for the most part, I'm like locked in my head. I'm not even like I'm on autopilot on the outside. So when I actually stick my hand yeah. up to say hi to him, I give him nothing. <laughs> it's whatever I had left in the tank. And it's terrible. Yeah. And it's like, but for the average person, they just might think, oh, he's just a dick or, you know, whatever. Maybe he's one of those just kids that just don't, it doesn't like people, doesn't want to be around anybody. But it's like, it has nothing to do with any of that stuff. I mean, maybe some of that stuff is in there, but I am, like I said, everything inside is on fire. And I'm trying to find a way to put it out because I am ref- I'm reflecting everything on the outside or inside is coming out on the outside. And, you know, I look at myself in the mirror. I hate myself. I think I'm ugly. And, and you know, I'm, I'm honing on my, my eyes because they look different. And, and I'm just doing all these things. Oh, you're skinny. You're this or that. And, you know, when, you, when that stuff builds up to the point where you just can't take yourself anymore, you can't take the life that you're living, no matter how, you know, lavish your life is, no matter what, how many people you have supporting you, you, like I said, internally, you're to some degree dead. Like you're just dead inside and you don't, you don't, you're losing so much of yourself. And that's when you start to like look at yourself and you go, not even just like a physical trait, like look at yourself, whether you're attractive or not. When you look at yourself and you have these thoughts of hurting other people or whatever, anyone, yeah, that's when you start to go, wow, I'm a monster. And I just, I don't deserve to live like people. And you start to think that everyone else they would be better off without you because this is how you feel inside. It's like if they knew how I felt, they wouldn't want to be in my life. So let's just end this. So I don't have to deal with it anymore. Yeah, <clears throat> so. exactly. I mean, I, I looked at myself when I, when I was growing up and I mean, I didn't go through what you went through, but um, I, I looked at myself growing up and I was, you know, like, 
disgusted by myself because of um, what happened that was out of my control. But it was my life. And it, it was so messed up that it reflected on the outside. You know, like being orphaned, going through everything that I, I went through. I mean, after my father died, I didn't talk for six months. I was a mute. And a lot of time after that, I um, was, I was, people described me as shy, like, like you were saying, like um, shaking the guy's hand. Like I would, you know, say hi, but hi, you know, not, not like progressing, um, you know, like, like now. I, I had a uh, a friend of mine a few um, months ago that I was out with, and we were walking by people, and I was saying, "Hi, how you doing?" You know, just just outside in the park and enjoying life. And he's like, "Do you know them?" No. Like, why are you saying hello? Because mm-hmm. they're there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's lost. Not to go off topic, but I think that's lost. No, for sure. I like, mean, look at you yeah. and I have tragic stories, but we're still here trying to help people. And I've said this about the disability community where we're the perceived broken people because something on us is broken, yet we're the ones that are always trying to help people. And it's like when you look around, like, I could put myself in your shoes, even if I haven't been through everything you've been through. Same with you with me. And it's 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 very easy for us to just be empathetic and just listen to each other and say, hey, man, like, you know, like, because I genuinely have feelings for your story. Like, I love what you, you're saying and I love your honesty. And, you know, I just met you. And it's, yeah. but like most people can't do that because they're so selfish and they're only looking at their problems. And it's like, do you understand, like, you're not the only one. You're not even close to being the only one, regardless of what it is. It doesn't have to be the same. It doesn't have to be COVID or anything. It could be something totally different. We're all going through yeah. some shit. Can we, like, be nicer to you? Hold a door for somebody. Say hi. Smile a little bit. Just, you know, stop having your, mm. your biases towards whatever, whether it's race or whatever horse shit. Like, can we just try to be – let's just try. Because I think that was the one thing that 9-11 did. Like, everybody – you know, yes, there was some discrimination towards Muslims, and I don't, I don't agree with that. But we were right. nicer to each other because we had to support each other because we didn't, we didn't want that to happen to us again because we got screwed, and they took, they came and took advantage of a, of a loophole and an open. We we left ourselves open, and so then we yeah. were like, we can't just have somebody coming on our planes and just you know throwing us into buildings. So it's like we have to, we have to be nicer to each other. Screw the white black thing or woman man thing. Like we have to. You know, hey man, what's that guy doing over there? I don't know. Let me look. And then you just you're communicating, and then eventually yeah. people forgot, and that went away, and we went back to, ah, let's kill each other again. And it's like, no. yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. So you're yeah, right. Yeah, that's, there's a lot missing. There is a lot missing. Like going back to the active shooter, you know, there's something is not that I'm condoning it at all, but there is something missing out of that person's life that if they had it, they, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. But 
nobody ever offered to support them. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, a lot of it is mental health, and a lot of the mental health is untreated. Yeah. <clears throat> you know? And that's that's what I mean by that. Well, we got to stop. Right. We have to stop looking at people that we don't understand, and we just call them crazy. And yeah, there yeah. are some crazy people, but a lot of times, crazy people are also sane. Like some of the, some of the smartest people, like are serial killers. Like when they go back to like yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer and some of these guys, like they are super smart. They weren't dumb. Like they got away with it for a long time, but they were also geniuses in their own right. And you know, and and then you when they start to study some of the brains of the, like the really smart people in time, it's like yeah, like these guys. They had their own problems. Like Edgar Allan Poe is a very dark person. If you look at all his stories and his poems, they're really dark. But he was a he was a brilliant mm. guy. Like no one was doing what he was doing back then. But he was he yeah, was a yep. super dark guy. And and because again back then people didn't even live long. And it, it's there's just so much to it. And then and now we have so many amenities. There's so much we have to our availability. It's like oh okay, I could just go do this. I could do that. And nothing is ever good enough for us. And that's why it sucks. Cause like when you're again, back to like our vulnerability, when we're children, everything is simple. It's the same way I, I say with, with children, like or people with special needs, like they are like the form of us that we all should strive to be in some way because they don't need much. They just want to, they want love. They want to be happy. They just want to enjoy yeah. like, a few things that they enjoy in life. And, but we just, we aren't happy with anything. It's like, oh, you know, like I, I, I joke and I'm joking when I kind of say this, but like every time I go to somewhere, my grandma's like, oh, this needs salt. This needs that. And I'm like, grandma, like, it's fine. Like it, but it's like, yeah, but it would be better with salt. It's like, I guess, but just, just eat your damn salad or whatever she's eating. And sometimes yeah. we're, we're just so not satisfied. It's, it's, it, it, it's unfortunate. That's like empathy is another thing that's so missing. Like we just can't look at somebody who's struggling with anything. And it's just like, ah, but you know, they don't know what I'm yeah. going through. It's like, stop comparing your story. Like that person is hurting some way, shape or form, physically, mentally, emotionally. They're hurting one way or another. Just care, man. Open the damn door for that person. Like, Jesus. Yeah. 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 You know, it's like, I, I as a person with a visually impairment and I, I do a job or another job where I'm, I'm always lifting heavy things. And I'm carrying, I take stuff into vending machines, but in rest areas. And so I have like giant, like a cart full of soda and chips and all these things. And it's like, you know how many people have left the door just right in my face? Forget my visual impairment. Just, just as a person. They don't know I'm visually impaired, some of them. But it's like, there's yeah. no care in the world. But then yet, I'm the one holding the door for the elderly or for a woman or for a child. And I'm the one with all the heavy equipment. And half the time, people don't even look back. They just think, oh, the door just opened by itself. And it's like, no, yeah. man, come <laughs> on. The like, yeah. and, and then that's when you start to reflect negatively towards the world. Because that's when you're like, well, screw this world. Like. And, you know, you have setbacks. I'm sure you have where you have a moment with somebody in a store somewhere and they're doing something that just bugs the shit out of you. And you're like, Ugh, this, oh, is, yeah. this is why I've always hated people. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. But you have to check yourself. Like, you just do. You have to really look at yourself and just say, look, you have to self-reflect and say, look, all right, we're having a moment here. This person does suck, but um, that's just one person and we'll move on. Um, yeah. but I'm like my grandma, she's stuck in her ways. I love my grandma. Don't get me wrong. She's 90 years old. She's stuck in her ways. She's a very independent. She does a lot of amazing things and she really is one of my idols, but mm. she is stuck in her ways and she thinks I'm 90, 
people should move out of my way. Like people should just levitate. Like I, if I'm, if I want to look at my grocery list on my phone, I'm going to sit here in front of 10 people and it doesn't matter if they're behind me. Like she just, she has no real manners and I bugs the hell out of me. So that when I'm trying to teach her like grandma, why don't you be nice to these people? Then she brings up, well, no one else is doing it in here, which is a good point, but it's not what I'm at getting at because I don't care what other people are doing, but she's right because everyone else around us is a dick or have more than half of them because they don't care. They're not respecting that she is 90. They're not respecting that she's a woman or that they should let her go first or let anyone go first. They're all about right, me, right. me, me, me. And so how am I to teach a 90 year old woman who's stuck in her ways when my examples, there's very few of them because everyone around us is doing the same thing she's doing, except they don't have the luxury to say that they're 90. So it, it's, it's a conundrum that you're in. Like, cause I want my grandma to be better and just to be nicer to people because her negative energy, because I'm with her, brings it towards me because now everyone thinks, oh, well, why isn't he, like, taking care of her? Why isn't he, you know, like, I'm the one supposed to set her straight. And it's like, hey, she, right. she is who she is. And so people look at me like I'm the problem and, 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 you know, I'm trying to be more positive in my life. But it's hard because she can be very negative because she has seen a lot of things in her 90 years. Um but again, like I oh, said, yeah, yeah. Sure. but like I said, there's no, like, I can't really say grandma, well, be like that woman over there. Cause there's not many of them over there doing the right thing. And so you're in this world where everybody's right. just like at each other's throats and no one wants to care. And there, look, there's some good people out here, but there's, there's so many that are just being bad examples and yeah, definitely. in everyday life, like the grocery store is like yeah. a war zone. No, yeah, definitely. Yep. Especially because of COVID. Especially now yeah. when. You know, things are running up. Um, For sure. You, yeah. Because you got that dick. You got, you know, remember when toilet paper was running out and it's like, oh, so I'm just going to go buy 13 things of toilet paper. It's like, why, why do you think like that? Like you only have mm. one ass to wipe unless you have a couple, but it doesn't matter. Like why would you, <laughs> why would you think to just go buy 13 things of toilet paper? Because, you know, you don't want to run. You don't give a shit about anyone else. Like you don't like just. Right. I'm not saying don't think of buying a little, buying a head and buying a couple. Like, sure, you're preparing, but don't be so selfish, man. You know that this grocery store just got all that toilet paper in, and you're gonna go buy all of it. It's it's sad. It really is. It's, yeah. But no, definitely, definitely. I was in Walmart the other day, and there's people going in and out of, you know, just taking up the whole aisles not giving people any room to get by and oh God, yeah. there were these four guys probably in their 20s maybe mm-hmm. that were just deliberately taking up the whole aisle yeah. <laughs> and I, I walked down the aisle I'm like excuse me guys and I had my army hat on and all that and I walked right by two of them you know yeah. and they're like Oh well, excuse us. And one of them's like, "Oh, my my father left me." I'm like, "Where did that come from?" My father left me. <laughs> okay. Part of me was like, "Oh yeah, well, mine died." So mm-hmm. there you are. <laughs> <laughs> but like, like, why, why, you know, why I took up the whole aisle, and then when somebody wa- excuses themselves to get by, you gotta be like. Uh, you know, an idiot. Yeah. It's like, really, why, why, why? You know. Was that his excuse? 
Like, oh, I'm, I'm going through something right now, so that's why I'm being a dick? No, no. He was like, oh, well, my, my father left me. Like, saying that it was, um, I guess, kind of an excuse of being a dick. Oh, oh But okay. it was, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, like, God. <laughs> I, I don't even know if his father really left him. Right. Oh. You know, but, yeah. Fair enough. And, Eel, that's gross. Yeah, and I, I felt like turning around and saying, yeah, well, my guy. And have a good life. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. But, like, look, and, and then they're, they're in, like, the electronics department, and they're raising holy hell. And I actually, I bought, um, I seen a couple of, couple of aisles over, and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm leaving now, and that cop is going to come over, and he's going to, you know, tell them to get out. And as I was packing my groceries into my truck, the kids were walking out. So hopefully he did say something to them. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, there's some common courtesy, and I, that's another thing. It's just, man, come on. Like the people who, you notice the people, especially it's more of a younger thing now, but the people who are talking on their phone on speaker, like in stores. Yeah. And you're like, dude, what what are you, or FaceTiming? Like, what are you doing? Like, you're in public. Like, there's, you know how many great headphones? I have AirPods. They fit in your ear. You barely see them. I understand having a, yeah. con- I, I can live with you having a conversation, even if you're loud, even if it's just you. But the fact that you're actually putting your phone on speaker and you're holding it and, and you're at the store and it's like, now we're having a full-on comedy. There was a woman that was in, at, at my grocery store. She's having a sexual conversation with her boyfriend. And I'm like, oh, I'm just like, look, I mean, you know, whatever. We're guys and you, you're curious and you're listening, but you're like, like, are you shitting me? Like, I mean, in some ways you're like, wow, you have the balls to do this. But also like, you just have no morals. Like, you don't care. Like, you don't give a shit who's yeah. around. And I don't know. Like, come on. Yeah, like, yeah think here like we're buying you know i'm trying to buy roasted turkey and you're sitting here talking about this like i guess but yeah yeah it's uh yeah but anyway um so so what what made you want to serve well my father um was in the military and so he was in world war ii okay yeah he would have been he would have been i think he would have turned 100 this year Wow. So, yeah. But he was in World War Two, and my grandfather was in World War Two, and um, in the Navy, and I come from a long line of military, but the thing that really made me uh, do it was I got really <clears throat> into um, crack cocaine. What, what is and it? And drinking crack Oh, okay. crack, crack cocaine. I'm sorry. Go ahead, yes. Yeah, yeah. And drinking and, you know, partying and having fun. And the cocaine got a bit much. <clears throat> and my um, my aunt that I lived with told me to get out, get a job, and don't come back. And I needed that at that time. You know? So I I went out. I joined the military. I came back. <coughs> Sorry, I'm losing my voice. No, you're good, buddy. <coughs> Take your time. Excuse me. Hope you can hope we can edit that up. <laughs> you're good. good. Do, <laughs> do, do your thing. We all have our moments. There was I had a moment where 
and she became a really good friend of mine and she's telling a huge story and she's towards the end of her story and it's getting really emotional and I thought I muted the mic and I just burp <laughs> and I realized oh, no, and I couldn't really edit it out because she's talking. So it would take a real, it was like a big chunk of I was like, Oh, so I just had to kind of give a disclaimer in the beginning of the episode. Like, sorry for me being a pig. <laughs> so go ahead. <laughs> you're good. All right. Go ahead. All right. go ahead. So, um, so you're coming back from, from serving. Yeah. No, I, I told her that I'm, I'm going in the military. I'm leaving in a month and, now I'm done. And she's like, well, I didn't mean that. But, okay. You know. And so that's why I went into the military. And basic training was my detox out of, on, um, you know, some crack cocaine and, and drinking, for that matter. It's kind of an escape from your shittier version of your life like it was actually very cathartic and therapeutic for you just to get away from like your your actual other part of your life it was yeah but it was also um very hard because of the detoxing like i often describe my upper arms were the size of my wrists now Hmm. because of the drug use Oh. You know, so I, I was really, um, I'm, I'm actually, now I'm actually surprised that they, they let me in the military. Because you're very scrawny but, and out of shape. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. But I, um, I went in and I fought harder than I ever have in my whole life, I think. Physically, anyway. Oh, I'm sure <laughs> it was taxing on you, but it's. I'm assuming it's what you needed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because you can't just go yep. over there and just bullshit. Like you could, but you're not gonna you're not gonna last long. I'll just send you home. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Did you have yeah. any withdrawals at that point from from the cocaine? I didn't, or from the alcohol. I didn't, which I was kind of a. Uh, like I didn't have the jitters or anything like that, which I thought was kind of surprising. Yeah. But. Thank you, Lucky Stars, for that. Yeah. One. Yeah, I. I was lucky. Yeah, that's what I contributed to luck. Sure. <clears throat> yeah. How long did you serve for? Uh, three years active duty. And when I was in, I um, I was in Cuba for six months, riot control, and we had Cubans and Haitians that were trying to come over to the U.S. Okay. And um, they were coming over in nothing bigger than a table. Whatever, whatever they could find that floated, they tried to get over here. Yeah, and I actually still have a picture of a kid that he uh, he lost his entire family in the ocean, like wow. mother, father, sister, brother, all that in the ocean. And the Navy picked him up, and he was all he was alone. Wow. And yeah, we we. Housed him in one of the camps until 
I believe um, he transitioned into uh, America with some family that was here. Do you feel? So, do you feel like when you saw that, that was kind of like a weird reflection of like your life? In a way, yeah, yeah. And I, 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 I still have a picture of them, and I, I look at it at times, and you know, I wonder where he is now. But I also am like, uh, you know, thankful that you know, we, we have what we have over here. Yeah, yeah. In, in the United States, like a lot of people, um, they think that we have it so bad over here. But, like, I was just talking to earlier this week a podcast that's based in Australia. And we started talking about, like, the gun laws and, and um, United States and all that. And we were, like, comparing, like, AR-15. Like, they won't even sell any AR-15 for civilian over there. Right. You know, and Yvalde was an 18-year-old kid with an, an AR-15 that he just bought. You know, like, how does that even happen? Yeah. And for people who don't like, know, that's, like, the consistent gun that's been in a lot of these shooting sprees, these school shootings or wherever they end up, a lot of times that's the consistent weapon. Yeah, yes, yeah. And um I I remember myself like a couple of years after getting out of my homeless situation and I spent time in in psych in the psych ward, the mental health facility. And um, uh, the VA in Brockton, Massachusetts. And I, I applied for the um, Class A license to carry with alcohol restriction, not thinking I would get it. I needed it for work, but I didn't think I would get it. And I got it. Now I think that. Like, should I have got it? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You know. Maybe I should have, but, like, I think that's a big problem that we're having in the United States that we're not really focusing on um, you know, mental health and fixing people were just Oh, he's got depression. He's fine. Let's give him give him an AR fifteen. Yeah, yeah. And a lot. Of, I think a lot of the examples too of people who are for guns are these just militant, crazy gun nuts that are just like guns are life. And it's 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 kind of like how some people are really anti stoning, like smoking weed. And there's really nothing wrong with it, whether you do it or don't. But it, it's the 420 friendly assholes that are just like, oh, weed is life. And it's like, you know, of course you do it on Hitler's birthday and it's all this shit. And you just like hate mm-hmm. them from the outside because you're like, oh, you're just such a bad representation of 
what these people are trying to fight for because you could you could bring up medical use and all these different things of why you know it, it's good for for mental health and all these things but they don't bring that up they just bring it up that it's just oh it takes you to another dimension and all this bullshit and you're like all right man i'm tired of yeah. hearing your nonsense and it's the same thing with the gun example where it's just like there are people that can tell you like yeah the reason why i carry a gun is just you know for my safety and, and just for my family and this and this and this and that but it's always these guys that are just so pro, and it's, a lot of times it's it's uh, you know uh, re- there's some religion in it, or there's uh, some politics that have to deal with it, and people don't want to hear that shit. They just want real life scenarios of why why I should have this, and and they're just yeah. the it, it's just it's kind of the stereotype that really ruins it for other people, where people end up being anti something just based off of what the stereotype is, and they go, oh, well, I don't want to deal with that, and not realizing that the majority of people who are that stereotype or, or that fall within that stereotype really are just good people and don't really have any interest. They just don't feel like speaking up about it because some of it does sound kind of douchey on the outside. It's just like, look, man, but, and some people don't know how to convey it to the audience. It's just like, Hey, I have a gun because I don't want to die. And I just want to protect my family. That's it. That's all the reason why I have a gun. I have no interest in going into a school. I'm not going to give my guns to my kids or, you know, yeah. I'm very safe with my weapons and all that. Um, but yeah, the gun issue has gotten so out of hand and the, the the mental health stuff is only implemented when a kid shoots up a school. You know, they don't talk yeah. they don't talk about the, the the urban crime where kids are killing each other every day there. You know, they don't they don't talk about just how many I mean, they don't even talk about how we as a country are constantly trading guns with, with you know, with Mexico for drugs and all that. Like there's a lot of corruption yeah. and bullshit that goes into it. It's just we only no, yeah, we only know how to really compute the stuff that's like thrown in our face that the media throws like, Oh no, we don't, we definitely don't like children being shot, but it's like, yeah, but adults are being shot all the time and you don't give a shit about them. And, and you know, sometimes it's a racial thing and there's, there's so many components to it. It's, this is a huge gray area that we just don't want to jump into because it, 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 it really hits you hard and there's a lot of emotions and a lot of feelings that you're supposed to feel. And that's why we don't really get to the root of any of these subjects because it's like, oh, it's, it's easier just to say, well, mental health or, oh, hey, it's, it's, you know, guns are bad. Like, it's easy to say that. ABC. Yeah. But it's never that. You have to talk about all of it because it's, it's you know, like same with, yeah, definitely. Same with like the, 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 the gang violence and the police. It's easy to say the police are bad, but they're not all bad. It's easy to say that like, oh, they go in these neighborhoods and they just pull black kids over and they beat them and shoot them. It's easy to say that, but that's not all. That's a lot of that isn't true. That it does definitely happen, and it shouldn't happen. But that that you don't understand yeah. the job that they have. They have to go into neighborhoods where people are dying every day, and and these kids are carrying illegal firearms that they got from God knows who, and they're going to be shot at. You know, there's drugs sold, and a lot of times they have to just allow the drug selling. They have to allow a lot of these things, but they have to be. They they want to make it home at night. And they have to think about their kids. They have to think about anybody that they love. Just even if they want to go home and just watch the news, they have to survive. Yeah. Living in the city that I used to live in, Philadelphia, which is is the nickname for it, is Philadelphia. They're averaging, you know, two murders to three murders a day. It's it, it, but you can't you can't just ignore that and just go. Oh, well, let's just throw police in there and just say, oh, they, they're supposed to be good and and wholesome all the time. Like they see a lot of shit, like you did, like you and, and more because they see it on a daily basis and it's a constant. They don't get to come. They come yeah. home. Their come home is after a long shift and they put their gun away and all that. And 
you know, I get it. There's a lot of dick police, but we can't just write them off just because some, some assholes decided to pull a black guy over and beat him with a stick, like, or shoot them. Like it's, it's wrong. It really is. But there's so many convoluting arguments, especially with guns. And when you throw mental health in the middle, it's, (laughs) it's, it's crazy. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, go ahead. It's really crazy. Uh, so I was going to ask you, what, what is like, what do you think is like the biggest contribution to your PTSD for, for serving or anything in your life, really? My biggest contribution. Yeah. What do you think that really, I mean, I'm sure there's a, there's a, a plethora, yeah. plethora of things, but I mean, is there a few things that stick out to you that really kind of screwed you up that made you when you came back into the real world or whatever you want to call it? You know, do you, yeah. do you feel like there was a few things, whether it was that boy, um, do you feel like there's just a few things that really triggered your PTSD that, that really, you know, exacerbated it and made it stronger? One of them would be uh, a tank explosion that I was in. That, that really um, shook me. Like, uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you the story. We were in the National Training Center in California, and we were firing our weapons downrange, you know, shooting our Bradley 25-millimeter gun down at targets down at the end of the, the range. And the turret blew up. There was something wrong with the gun that we didn't realize was wrong with the gun. And a round got lost, and it went and went to fire and exploded. And all I remember is seeing seeing the barrel like flying off the gun as the tank is filling up with smoke. As my gunner and my BC are screaming because they just got severely burned and blinded for in like six months and um, yeah that that was one of them and the reason why is because of the trigger of my if I hear a loud bang mm-hmm. or I smell gasoline or something like that I, I freeze mm. you know or I get a really bad headache like that diesel gasoline will give me a severe hit. Yeah. Yeah. And another one would be a dog attack, actually, that, that I was in. That um, I was, I went back to the military after my home was sent for a couple of years. And we were in the Cape. And I think it's, um, Fort George or something over there by the Cape, I forget what it's called. But some civilians allowed, uh, or some civilians brought a dog onto the base, and they were drinking on base, and the dog escaped. And the dog um, attacked, like, bit seven or eight different soldiers before getting to the I remember I was in headquarters company and I had to walk down a field 
and into some words in a path to get to the, the bathroom. You know, and as I'm getting to the woods, I'm hearing rah, rah, rah. I'm like, the hell is, is, is there an empty out there? And then the dog came charging at me. This is like a um, Rottweiler Doberman mix. Oh, so it's big and a problem. Yeah, big and strong and big teeth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I just, I flipped my, my M16. It didn't have any rounds in it. I flipped the M16 so the butt was facing the dog. The end of the weapon that you put your shoulder on. Right, right. Butt. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Just for your listeners. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I, I aimed that at the dog and I matched the dog's movements so it couldn't attack me. Until um, help came, because once once the the people at the other end of the field seen what was going on, they came and run. You know, and so I ever since then, like even my own dog, if it barks, I like jump out of my skin. Uh, I've had a couple of dog attacks after that. And I'm actually surprised at myself because I still knew enough to, you know, stay focused, stay level-headed. And, um, be, uh, you know, have something to block its path or, you know, not run. Like, I, rem- I remember one time I was over a friend's house. And I was, he's an elderly guy, and I was helping him move his uh, push lawnmower. And then he started the lawnmower. And a um, boxer, two houses down, heard it, seen me, because there's no fences, came running. And he was just like, I'm going to eat you. <laughs> and um, I remember just, uh, there was a whale barrel there. And I just kept the wheelbarrow in between the two of us until the owner came running right behind the dog and was able to get the dog. But another one, too, would have been the first thing that happened that gave me my PTSD would be my mother's death. <clears throat> yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, no, I just yeah. I was wondering because, I mean, you know, PTSD, a lot of times when people talk about PTSD, it always, most people think it, it you know, it, it's always attributed with people who serve, even though you can get many forms of different PTSD. But, um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, you have so many things within your story that kind of can add to it. Um, so I, this is a question I want to like, how do you feel that like people from the military are, are treated in this country as a person who went homeless? Um, because people have different theories on it. And, you know, this is just your opinion. But I mean, um, you know, there's I think a, now. Now they're treated a lot better than they were years ago. Like decades ago, like the 60s. You know, coming home from Vietnam, they were spit on and all that. And now we have veterans facilities that house um, veterans, uh, you know, homeless veterans. I, I was actually 
I was homeless, quote unquote homeless, for five years, but only on the streets for a few months. And then I was in veteran shelters the rest of the time. And back then they didn't have that, to my knowledge. And um, on the other side of that, though, they don't understand PTSD. Like, there's a veteran's place called Veterans Inc. that is um, kind of sort of downtown in Worcester. And people drive by there and see the homeless people there that have PTSD. And you hear like, oh, go out and get a job. Nothing's wrong with you. Because they're not missing a limb or anything. They're not physically where you can see something wrong with them. Right, sure, sure, yeah. Yeah. So that aspect needs a lot of help. I've just I've just yeah. heard from a lot of other soldiers and stuff like that. There's still more that they can do because you know we we tend oh, to we tend to say like oh you know thank you for your service and all that, but then a lot of a lot of people come back, especially the ones that are missing the limbs and and have the major PTSD and are all busted up, and then they're just a lot of them end up homeless. Um, a lot of them end up just going through a lot. You know they go to jail or they end up with a lot of problems. And there's no one looking out after them. And there's there's ten there's a lot of these organizations that are supposedly the money goes to these guys, and 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 not all yeah. of them are truthful. Um, so that's kind of where no, I, was, I, I was can at. I can name a couple that aren't truthful. Yeah, I, but there's 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 more that are. Okay. I'll say the VA. Um, when I when I first became homeless, I. I needed money, so so they, they got me non-service connected, a non-service connected pension, which is only like $1,000 a month, when I had everything else that was wrong with me at that time. They looked at, they didn't look at any of my military service, they just looked at, oh, he had a rough life, we're going to give him the uh, non-service connected. Now I'm 80% service connected looking at a hundred probably in a couple of weeks. But the thing about the VA is that you have to know a certain jargon yeah. in order to get anywhere with them. <clears throat> like I, I know I know a guy now um who owns uh Blue Cord Patriots. It's a place that helps veterans get um the benefits that they deserve. Okay. And that guy taught me the, uh, the proper way to talk to the VA. Because if you don't talk to them the proper way that they want you to talk to them, they fluff you up. Mm. And then 22 veterans die of suicide every day, wow. daily, because of the help that they're not getting. So, yeah. A lot of, I mean, in that aspect, it is better than it was in the 60s. Sure. But it still has a long way to go. Okay. So part two to this, how do you feel the homeless are treated in this country? Homeless veterans or homeless in general? Overall. 
both, but okay. I mean mainly o- uh, overall <laughs> because I feel because as a person with a disability, one of the things that like, I I was eventually wanted to kind of do something with someone who was homeless, and I found someone. She ended up being blind too, and I wasn't looking for that, but I really wanted to see because I, I I see how homeless people are treated, and they're they're treated like they're freaks and that they're all addicts and. You know, they all have, yeah. like, they're so far from society, but the reality is, like, there are only one or two mistakes, and they're just out on the street, and some of these, you know, these people all have families, and, and they just had really bad luck, Some a lot of them, and, um, yeah. and so I, I see it, how people are treated, how people treat them, so as a person who has that experience, beyond just being a veteran, how do you feel like homeless people really are treated? I think you're looked at like a leper. Yeah, right. Like you're like you almost could like if you touch them you can become homeless. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yep, yep. Sure. And people of privilege, you know, people that have everything that they, they want in life, don't understand that um, it is just one one or two things that could happen to you that could put you in that situation. Yeah, you know, like I was having a conversation with um, people on Facebook the other day about uh, we have a lot of homeless people in Worcester and Massachusetts. Yeah, okay. yep. Yeah. And we were talking. Yeah, we were talking about it, and they're like, "Oh, they're all addicts, and all the they're." They're dropping their needles around here and there and everywhere. And, you know, it's like, A, they're not all homeless. And then I told them that I was homeless. And everyone was like, wow, you're the exception. Thank you for your service and this and that. And, like, I'm not really the exception. Yeah. You just have a one way of looking at it. When there's a lot of different ways to look at it. You know, I, I think mental health over um, over addiction is one of the main reasons why people are homeless. Sure, yeah. But I think we, yeah, right. as I said on the last episode, I think we vilified them so much, homeless people. Because we were so oh, yeah. we're so afraid to realize how human they are, like how close to us they are, you know. We and I, I say the same thing with people with disabilities. Like people just think like, oh, you're just born some freakish accident. Like that couldn't happen to me because I'm alive. I've been around for thirty years. No, man, you could just get hit by a car and you're disabled. You know, something you could yeah. fall off your table or you know whatever. I don't know why you're on a table, but you could fall off a ladder and be paralyzed. Um, and the same thing with homeless. You can make a couple bad decisions. You could you could. You know, I know a guy who his, his his boyfriend died and left him with all the medical bills. And he, and the one who died was the one who took care of all the finances. And all of a sudden now he has to take care of everything. And then he had cancer himself. And then now he has to take care of his own medical bills on top of that. And it's like, yeah, man. And he didn't, he never became homeless, but he could have. And he hung, he, he's hung in there and he's fighting 
but it's it's not easy and and you know i think everyone just thinks oh you know well now nah, they were just all they drank and did drugs their whole life no a lot of times they end up doing drugs and alcohol or drugs and uh yeah drugs and alcohol afterwards and again there are people who were addicts and and that's what caused them to go homeless but that's the stereotype that people think that you know they want them to just be these crazy monsters who are just running around and they'll stab you and they'll rob you and rape you and do all these things yeah. and again that does happen but Oh yeah, but there's a lot of people that are just they're lost because they came home whether it's from serving or they came home you know, they 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 you know maybe their their spouse cheated on them and they were the breadwinner and they kicked them out and maybe they lost their job at the same time and now they don't and they don't have a whole lot of friends because all his friends were her friends and now he's out on the yeah. street and now he's got to find and he's and he's out he's been out there for three months now now he's almost conditioned just to live out in the the wild. <clears throat> and it, it, yeah. it, it's almost kind of the reverse of a an animal that's meant to be in the wild that gets caged up. It's like you you now have a different mentality and you don't know how to go back to the your other reality. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Like like you said, a lot of people get conditioned um, to live that way, and they don't see a way out. You know, a lot of people. I'll, I'll drive around Worcester and I'll give them one of my business cards for my, my books, my website. And I'll say, hey, look, if you are really serious about getting help, really serious about getting help, call me. And I will set you up with, I know multiple organizations in, in the Worcester area. And sometimes I do, I do get calls, you know, but a lot of times I don't too. And I'm like, why, why, why not take advantage of that opportunity? Because a lot of them are conditioned and they don't think that they can have that better life. Yeah. Do you almost, and again, I'm, I'm asking you, I don't know, but do you, do you feel it's almost like you have to treat it like an addict in itself? Forget the drugs and the alcohol, but just... You're you're so used to something, and it, you know you you're just used to this one type of way of living, and every time you try to go forward, you know you get stuck in the quicksand, you get pulled down. So it's almost like being an addict, where you, yeah, it sounds nice to to just quit. It sounds nice to just be sober, or it sounds nice to have a home and to get out of this mentality. But you're you're stuck. Like you don't see a way around it because. This is how you live, and it's the same thing. Like if you were an addict, you only know how to like. It sounds good, but every time you, you know, a couple hours off of it, you feel like shit. You're like, nah. And when you're yeah. when you're homeless, you look at the world and you're like, yeah, I would love to get into a home. I'd love to have a job, but nah, like that's not possible. You know, like I don't exactly. Know. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. No, a lot of I used to think that way myself. They're like, this is my life, and this is all my life is going to be. Yeah. You know? What changed your mentality or your mindset? Really um, seeing others suffer. Yeah, and with that, I gained empathy. And with that, that pushed me to, like, get out of my homeless situation so I can help people and 
also the the veteran facilities that I was in still um, helped me to get back on my feet. Mm-hmm. You know, so they they are they are good for for that definitely. But like I tell people now, working with um, a way of recovery care, I say you've got to want it as much as you want the air you breathe. Sure. And you got to want it for you. You don't have. You can't want it for your son, your daughter, your wife, anybody. You're going to want it for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be hard because sometimes some of us are very selfless. And, you know, for me, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm always constantly dealing with my own problems. And I, I don't necessarily address them a lot. And recently I kind of been taking care of my own health and I kind of cut some. I didn't cut them out, but I didn't, I wasn't as persistent on checking on them. And some people kind of got like, oh, well, I guess you're just not as interested, like a girl. And it's like, it's not that. I just, I never take time for me. And I, I needed time to just deal with my shit because I'm so bent on trying to help people. And I'm not trying to make myself sound good. I just, I really try to do as much good as I can. But I, when I do that, I don't really focus on me. I'm focused on other people. And yeah. you, you really have to take some time to just go like, okay. How much do you want to be happy? How much do you want this particular thing? Now, I've never been homeless, but I have had money issues. You know, when I was young with my mom, we had, you know, we were, we didn't have a whole lot of money. We were, I wouldn't say completely poor, but we were having, we were struggling. And, um, yeah, you know, yeah. So I, you, you know how to live on that side of the track and it, it's <clears throat> just little life experiences like that. It, it teaches you to just be humble and try to, Again, I, I always say, like, I hate when people say they're open-minded because most people aren't. They say they're open-minded, but then you throw something at them and you're like, oh, okay, really? You're not open-minded? You know, you could say, like, something yeah. about everyone, every community and every race and everything in a room, and then you land on their one thing that triggers them. They're like, oh, I, I can't take this. It's like, well, then you're not open-minded, are you? Like, we, Yeah, exactly. You know, so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's it, true. It's, yeah. it's good that you you have to take care of yourself, and it's I mean it's you, you definitely made a drastic change because you know I'm sure you for a while you probably felt like you were drowning out there, you were just lost. No, yeah, definitely. Growing up, I really did. My my friends really saved my life. Like um, I was. I was just lost, and I ran into this group of friends, and we became like like brothers. Yeah. You know, and even to this day, we're you know we're still close. Like we we just had a twenty year reunion. First time seeing each other in twenty years, wow. and it was like picking up the next day. You know, like just, you know, I couldn't even I couldn't even explain it to you, but it, it was like we that twenty year gap didn't matter. We just went back to being who we were, and you know, it was, it was cool. an amazing day that we had. Nah, that's cool. Yeah, that's that, that's yeah. The, that's when you know you really care, like people you care about them, and you're meant like they're meant to be in your life is when you can go away from them for a decent period of time and then come back and it's like, oh, you just pick right back up. Yeah. Um, 
So my last question kind of towards the, the homeless part. Did you, while you were out there or now, even just in hindsight, did you learn to appreciate your younger years when you were poor, but you had a home? Like, or did you feel like being out homeless was better? I don't know. I mean, of course you had a father around, but I mean, did you, did you ever learn to yeah. appreciate like the fact that you did have a home? You didn't have a lot of money, but at least you had a place to stay. Oh, now, now I, now I appreciate that. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of my youth. I, I blacked out. You know, like I, I don't remember like, um, the part that I was telling you about being mute for six months. I didn't know that until a couple of years ago when I was writing my, uh, my book, 10 homes in 11 years. And I talked to my sister and she told me that I didn't talk to anybody, not even her. I, I had no idea about that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that I said I blacked out and I, um, yeah, these days I I am thankful for you know yeah, for having a house for um, not being worse off than I was. But sure, and I don't mean in, into your current situation, but I meant as far as you, yeah your homeless situation to your younger because that's yeah because we yeah, think, like I'm, we tend to think that our situation is the worst at its time. And then you don't know that it can get worse. And some people like you have had to see what worse could be like. And you did. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, at, at that time, I don't know if I really, I can't answer that. No, that's fine. Cause, yeah, because I don't know what I was thinking back then. Sure. Really. Yeah, but yeah. being um, homeless was definitely worse than being, um, you know, in that situation in Texas and Arizona and all that. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I wanted to ask you this and please know I'm not making funny. Do you, do you have some sort of like a speech impediment? Uh, not really. I mean, Maybe it's just the connection because it's it sounds more like you have like a, a slow like speech impediment. Like you sound fine, I understand you, but it just I I didn't yeah. I didn't know if it was something from serving or, or anything. And trust me, I'm I, please no, I'm not making fun of you. I just no was, no 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 I no I um honestly somebody else that guy Sean from Blue Court Patriot um asked me that okay. And I guess it stems from having a TBI. From having a what? Traumatic brain injury. Oh, you, oh, you had a traumatic brain injury. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, from when I was in that tank accident. Oh, okay. Well, that makes a lot more sense then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I have a few friends with traumatic brain injuries. Yeah, like I said, I'm yeah. sorry. If I, I hope I didn't piss you off. I just want you to know. I just was. I no, wanted, no, 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 no. I was because no. I wanted to. Because I, you know, you, sometimes <laughs> you, I know you. I'm, I'm sure you weren't, but I just, I just wanted you to know. I genuinely do care for you, and I just didn't want. I, I know it was random, but I wanted to kind of people to know because I felt like something happened that you didn't share, and I felt like it was something in your story. But sometimes other people's stories get crossed, and I don't know if I'm. I don't want to just go like, hey, remember that time you had cancer? You're like, no, that wasn't me. Um, 
So it was yeah. easy, it's easier just to kind of ask the obvious question. And, and so, yeah, I, I was wondering because that, that makes a lot more sense because I have, I've interviewed a few people with traumatic brain injuries and, and they have like a similar sound. Um, yeah. And I was wondering if it had something to do with you serving because it, it, and I, because I felt like it did, but you know, so much got said. Yeah. And I, living in Massachusetts, we don't see our, ours. Right, 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 right. You know, and, I sometimes think that I have like my own, uh, um, what do you call it, accent. Right, sure. Because I've, I've lived in Massachusetts, I've lived in Colorado, I've lived in, I've been in almost every state, I've been in Hawaii, you know, every, every, I think the only state I wasn't in or didn't ride to in my life is Alaska. Okay. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. I, you're right, though. Massachusetts, they have a really hard accent, and it's hard to. I mean, they try to compare it to like the New York accent, but it's totally different. And it, yeah, yeah, definitely. it's totally different. You hear it. I mean, some of it, it's like, wow, what are they saying? Um, yeah, but yeah, no, I. You I mean, probably you probably hear all the accents. Uh, well, since I moved out of Philly, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you know, yeah, I've heard a lot of them, and, and again, I I welcome them, but it's. Yeah, I, like I said, I I didn't. I had a feeling there was something else missing in your story that we hadn't covered, and I, I wanted to, because like I said, like, I, there's so many things that get crossed in my mind where it's just like, okay, I know where I met you, I know your name, I know you, I'm no majority of your story, but there's something in there, and then, and then it's like, oh, traumatic brain injury, there you go, and then that brought me back to kind of what I was hearing, and I'm like, okay, because I can I can understand you fine, but I, I knew there was something that. Uh, was there, but yeah, traumatic brain injuries. Those are, uh, did you, did you, when, when that happened, did you, did you lose any kind of, uh, ability to, cause I know a lot of the friends I have one, she lost like her whole one side is paralyzed. Um, did you have any real effects from that injury other than your ability, like your speech? Well, I have, um, some high pitch hearing loss. Oh, okay. I have headaches still to this day and that happened in like 95. So, yeah, I, I have migraines like once or twice a week, and yeah, so that I um, I have the uh, the speech. Yeah, I know I blacked out when that happened. When um, it was weird. I blacked out, but yet I reacted. Like, I don't remember getting out of my tank, the driver's seat, running around to the back of the tank after I opened up the, the hatch that led me into where the, uh, the gunner and the BC were, and I got them out. Mm. I don't remember any of that. But yeah. people tell me that that's what I did. Interesting. You know, so I have some memory loss because of that. And I, I think a lot of the memory loss that I do have is a combination of TBI and PTSD. Yeah. Well, that and that blunt trauma that you just suffered to your head. You don't realize how much shit is up there and how much it's working and, and, and how it works. And, um, yeah. And you hear some of these stories where people go crazy you know, I, one of the ones that stood out to me is, you know, I was, I was a big wrestling fan as a kid 
and the wrestler Chris Benoit, who ended up killing his whole family. Um, and they're, they're oh, yeah. the, the theory is, is that he had so many concussions because he had this move. And then again, I'm putting this together, but he had this move where he would jump off the top of the rope and he would headbutt you. Um, and mm. again, that, that alone wouldn't screw you up, but a lot of times to kind of keep the story going, because that was one of his finishing moves, guys would move out of the way. So then his head would collide with the mat. Now people could say wrestling is fake all you want. And yeah, maybe the mats are a little padded, but they're still ground. Like it's still the ground. It's still hard. Yeah. And he, in, in these, and even if you want to just talk about the shows that were on television, that's twice a week. Um, but he, there was all these dark yeah. shows. He did this, I mean, he did this thousands of thousands of times and he had so much damage to his head. And that's what they talk about with these football players, the CTE and all that. And these guys end up, and he ended up killing his whole family. And, and every wrestler that loved this guy said that we would have allowed our kids to stay with him. And that says something. Mm. And, and it's like the guy took so much damage to his brain that eventually he just lost it and did something that no one would have ever thought would have happened. And, Obviously, yours was like a one-time thing, but one major just blow to the head could really set you back many years, if not your whole life. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Look at, um, I'm trying to think of the guy's name, but way back in the old Western days, there was a guy that got a uh, a barb from a, um, they're working on, on setting railroads. And he got a, a beam, like a metal beam, through his skull. Mm. And he survived it. And before he before that happened, I guess he was like a really nice guy. Everybody loved him, this and that. And after that happened, he turned into a jerk, more or less. Sure like angry all the time and snapping at people and this and that. And it was because of now they figured out that it was because of the way that the beam went into the guy's head. Yeah. Which it affected his, yeah, his way of thinking. Which could have killed him, but it did something yeah. else. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Like it, it was, it was a miracle that he was alive. But like a lot of other head trauma in even PTSD, you might be alive, but you're not the same person. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think this is probably the most important question. One of the last ones I want to ask you, but the most important question okay. is uh, how long have you been sober? 30 years now. Wow, that's awesome, man. Good for you. Thank you. Yeah. Good for you. Feel you, you feel yep. you, you never you haven't had any like urges. I crack cocaine, no. Um, it's probably easier to stay away from that. Yeah, I have had a a beer or two within the um thirty years. Okay, and that's not tempting. Yeah, it's not tempting, and the reason that it's not tempting is because. Normally, if I if I do have one, like I'll go uh, I'll go to the movies with my, my my brother, maybe once every three months or so, and we'll go out to beforehand, and I'll have one beer with him, and then 
when we were going to the movie theater, sit for two hours. By the time I get out of the movie theater, that beer is through me. You know, and then I go home and I, I go to sleep. Sure. Yeah, and I, I probably average maybe a uh, six pack in a year. Past couple of years, because of COVID, I've actually not had any. Because we, we, then we went to one movie and we didn't go out to eat beforehand. But, is it, and for the people in addiction recovery that might be listening, there's a difference between abstinence and recovery. Abstinence is not having any alcohol at all, you know, or any drug use at all. Recovery is working that recovery. Yeah. But would, and, you, would, um, you, would you agree, though, that there are some people that couldn't even take one? Like, oh, some, yeah, some people yeah. have to stay abstinent to stay recovered because you're, you're yeah. somehow strong enough to be able to, to know to take one. But there are people who that can't even go to bars because of the smell or the, the clinking of the glass that just triggers something for them. Yeah, and I think the reason that I am able to have one is it's decades later. Sure. You know, I mean, if I, if I was having one right off the bat, if I was having a six pack a year right off the bat, that would have turned into a twelve pack or a case or this or that. You know, it would have kept on building up. But because I, I mean, I've got more years in addiction recovery than a lot of people that I that I support have had birthdays. Sure. You know, it's because of the length of time. I think. You do you do need that length of time to be abstinent, yeah. be sober. Or um, now there's actually there is people, and professionally I can't condone it or not condone it. But um, there are a lot of people that want to regulate, want to have two beers, and. Yeah, that's all they're gonna have. I'll have two two beers or two glasses of wine every other day, mm-hmm. and that's gonna be my recovery. Yeah, you know, yeah, I I I can't say if I agree with it or don't agree with it, but yeah. Can you um? So kind of wrapping up here, can you uh, tell us kind of what you're doing today, why you're doing? why you are doing what you're doing and then also promote your book and anything else you want to promote. Yeah. Um, now I'm, uh, writing, I'm a writer and I'm also working with a, um, fantastic organization called addiction, addiction, aware recovery center, which is an addiction, um, facility that helps, people where they're at like they'll um i'll go to a guy's house and sit with him and talk about addiction recovery or i'll there's a client that i play pool with every week 
while we're talking about addiction recovery. Um, but we have the client for a whole year. And I think what is spectacular about um, a way of recovery care is that we have the client for so long because I've had clients in detoxes, in CSS, in, um, you know, extended loving programs where I knew I didn't have enough time with the client and the table going to go back out and use. But with Aware Recovery Care, they have a whole year with us. And, you know, it, we have some of the highest stats in, um, and all of addiction recovery care, way more than AA. Not that I, not that I, you know, I love AA, but yeah, we we have really high stats as far as success. success. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great. And I started this one because of my mother, and two because I had a cousin. A, um, who passed away in 2016. His, his drug of choice was heroin. And he, um, he went missing July of 2016. And he, um, nobody could find him. I couldn't find him. And I'm a trained private investigator. And we had another professional investigator working on the team of people trying to find him. And it turned out that he was about three miles from here in the woods, and a hunter found his body. A hunter and a dog found his body. Yeah. And by the time that they found the body, they had to do dental recognition to identify him. He was out there so long, or still yeah. start to eat him. No, he was out there that long. Okay. Yeah, and there was wine around his body, and I don't know if you know what they use wine for, but to disguise the smell. Right. Of a dead body. Yeah. Yeah, it can't be good. Yeah, and since then. I started working in this field to learn about that other life. You know, and because I, I, I worked my own recovery, really not even realizing what I was doing when I was working my own recovery. You know, and then getting into this business, I learned all about addiction recovery and I, I wrote a book on it and um, but yeah now this is probably what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life yeah that's great you found a passion yeah. you're, you're doing what you can with it um, yeah definitely what's your uh, what's your book I have seven seven books out where can you get them anyway uh, lifelongexperience.net there's one on addiction recovery, one on PTSD, one on 
um, changing their lives through growth and realizing that money is not the uh, end-all, be-all to success. And um, one is about dealing with loss, acceptance of losing a loved one. And I'm working on my next memoir right now. That's great, man. Um, like uh, I do want to say, like you know, I'm sorry for everything you have lost, but I'm very proud of everything you actually gained and what you're doing with it because it's. I mean, you know, Same here. you yeah. thank you, I appreciate it. Yeah, it, it's. I'm sure you know. Well, I mean, you've been close to death, but it, you know, like how many people that have gone through what you've gone through, or anything similar, like what I've gone through, or others, just how many people don't make it. You know, obviously you almost yeah. didn't because you tried. Um, and yeah. there's so many yep. people that try and they succeed. There's so many people that just try and they blow their head off, but they live and, and their life is never the same. There's people that just give up on themselves. and But there's just a lot of people that just aren't here anymore because of, you know, they didn't have whatever. They didn't have whoever was looking out for them. And, you know, they didn't have that person yeah. that found them. Um like you did, and, yep. and it's like the fact that you're still here, and then you're actually doing something with it, even giving back to, you know, I mean, you barely knew your mom, but you're giving back, and by helping people like her, uh, it's yeah. just doing some good because you know you look out in this world. There's so many. The drug epidemic is not going away. The homeless population is not going away. You know, all the things that you got right. to see firsthand is is right in your face, and you get to see it every day. Uh, yeah, and you're finding a way to just make some change. Um, my my last like real question: Do you do you, like as a person who has never been homeless and wants to like help? You know, if there's any like really good ways, like an efficient way to like provide or help uh, people who are homeless. Um, the answer to that would be not money. No, and the reason that. I say that is because I mean give my a dollar here a dollar there yes maybe but um I don't know what they're gonna use it for hopefully they're gonna use it to buy food or to get shelter or something like that but I don't I a don't... lot of them I'm sorry. I don't just mean like an individual homeless person, but I mean like whether it's an organization, like is there is, you know, cause people, they say some of the things that homeless people need the most are socks and underwear and things like that. Like, is is there, Oh you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there um, certain places or certain things to just to look for, like to know like what you should be supporting? Like it should be, is one of the most efficient ways is to give out food. And you know, for me, I have a decent income. Like I'd like to just help, but I don't want to just, yeah, I don't want to just go up to some random homeless guy. And go, Here's a grand. Like, I want to be yeah, able to yeah, do yeah. something that impacts more than just one person. Like I've I've worked in um or I've, yeah I volunteered in a soup kitchen before. Okay. You know that's that's one thing. I mean now that we have COVID, I don't even know if a lot of those are open anymore. But um, yeah, I volunteered in there just serving food and talking to the people. The biggest thing that I can probably recommend is to let them know that they're not alone. You know, yeah. it's not about the money. It's not about the this or the that. It's about letting them know that they're not alone. 
sure. and that there is help out there. Like one one thing one thing that I going back to suicide for a minute. One thing that I, I tell people is my suicide attempt was twenty years ago. My son is ten now. You do the math. Huh. You know, if I succeeded back then, we would both not be here. Right. You know, and I think about that now and I look at him and I'm like, thank God I got help when I needed it. And, you know, now, now my life is so much better. I'm going to be, I'm going to be buying a house in a couple months. Not good for you. You know, I, I have a beautiful truck, the beautiful son. I have the, to me, the perfect job, you know, but back then, I was begging God to, to take my life because I thought I had nothing. Yeah. And you had to yeah. see what nothing was. Cause at that, yeah, point, at yeah. that point you probably, yeah. you, you know, there were some things down the pipe that were even worse than what you didn't have then. You know, like I said, you at one point didn't have any, you didn't have a whole lot of clothes and money, but then all of a sudden then you didn't have a home. You didn't have food. And yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And I, now that I, and this is, First time I'm going to say this, but um, I think now that the higher power, like, I don't know, I know there's something higher than me out there, let's just say that, yeah. but um, I think that that higher power was like, you think you have nothing? I'm going to show you nothing. Sure. And then see what you do with it. Yeah, you're being tested. You know? That's probably what happened. Yeah, absolutely being tested, and you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, you could have failed, but you you pulled through, and I mean, again, you know, I I don't some I I'm all in the fence with a lot of this stuff, and I I'm all for, I'm open ears to, to what what is out there and who is above us and and is taking care of us and looking out for us, but it's definitely something, and then you know, there's. I do believe we are here for like you and I, like we're here for a reason. We're having this conversation and, and uh, we don't necessarily know what, but you know, at some point we'll figure it out. And it's, I, yeah. I haven't been able to predict. I, I was a, I was a super fucking shy kid. I never wanted to talk to anyone and be a leader and do anything. I wanted to hide. And now I want to speak for others and help others. So I could, yeah. I wouldn't have predicted that. Uh, yeah. I was the same exact way. Yeah. I wanted to die. I didn't want to live, and now I want to live. So, I mean, everything is complete opposite. So, I mean, it's kind of, yeah, it's, uh, you know. Yeah, you're an inspiration. Yeah. It's, you know, what you're doing is just amazing work. I appreciate it, buddy. I appreciate it. Um, but, yeah, well, man, I, I, I appreciate you for coming on. I really hope we can keep in touch and be friends and uh, support, yeah. support each other. I think you seem like a great dude. I'm just glad to have gotten to know you and share your story but from here on out we can just talk i mean hey maybe we can do something down the road just have a conversation about something else i mean obviously we have a lot to talk about beyond just our lives yeah at that point but overall yeah. like nothing else has to be recorded we could just talk and get to know each other more and like i said it's just good to have good people in our lives that provide good energy and you know it's if you ever need somebody to talk to if you are feeling shitty you know i'm here anytime i appreciate that same here definitely yeah, it's good to hear about you anytime 
All right, that, that's great to hear. Um, you keep up with the good work, and uh, we'll we'll talk soon. All right. I'm ready. I'll talk to you later. All right, brother. Ah, oh, fantastic, guys. I know it was a long episode, but, you know, I didn't want to cut them off, man. It's just, I just like to have the conversation. I know I should probably um, have a little more balance and, you know, I should cut some stuff out and do this, but it's, it's, I like to have a real story. There's so many times I listen to other shows, and I'm talking about, like, big-time podcasts, and they just like, to, I want to hear more. I want to hear what else. Like, give me detail. And they're like, well, we're, we're going... We're like 45 minutes in and we need to kind of get out of here. And it's like, we're in an age where you can just pause and come back to it. I'm, I'm not saying it's the world's greatest content, but I'm saying I'm trying to just do something good. I'm trying to provide some sort of goodness for people to hear because there's so much bad shit to hear. And I know there's some darkness in this within that. I get it. But you have to hear that to know, to understand where he's at now and how far he's come. And that's kind of the theme here with all these people and myself so thank you guys again and um as you can tell i got a little spring in my step um check me out on instagram and, and facebook i've been kind of putting my story out there i'm just trying to get a procedure done and um i actually have something on the table maybe can help some of my vision so um i want to get out of here because it's a long episode but thank you guys again and i'll, I'll give you more updates when i can but um, thank you again, and uh, I'll see you guys on the next one, right? All right bye.